Hello, dear friend. You know, I say it every time, and I mean it every time. Thank you ever so much for continuing to listen to and support The Tully Show. I am happy to have Mark McGrath back this week. I am sure you feel very much the same way. I'll get the show going in a quick second. But first, a reminder, patreon.com slash Mike Tully. If music podcasts are your bag, I have got them in spades. I'm doing like three Patreon-exclusive music pods just about every month. Why, tomorrow I'll be talking to our old dear friend Brian Cullen about this month's 2021. Imagine that new music. Recently released songs continues exclusively at patreon.com slash Mike Tully. Hope to see you there. Patreon.com slash Mike Tully. Okay, you ready to start this show? Coming to you live, on tape, on location, in rapidly gentrifying and still somehow sweltering Culver City adjacent California, from my nine-year-old son's bedroom, boasting a partially obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me, joining us again today, the lead singer of Sugar Ray and three-time champion of rock and roll Jeopardy. Hello, and welcome back, our dear friend, Mark McGrath. Tully, always a pleasure. Been way too long. You know, I've been, for some reason, people want to hear those hits from the 90s out there. So I've been out of pocket for a while. But it's nice to be at what I consider my my home, my home with you, Tully. Speaking of all things music, my my son's bedroom, your yeah. home. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do you know since the last time we spoke? Do you think you could name each of the cities you've been in? No, no, <laughs> no. I, you know, it, because when you're talking about Wissaw, Wisconsin, um, Lincoln City, Oregon, I I, I, I maybe could. But probably not. Certainly not in order. Certainly not in order. And you can see why when bands go on the road and you've been on tour for about, say, six, seven weeks, you, there people say, well, how can you call Chicago, St. Louis? You, you literally start stacking up these dates and like you live in a tube and everything looks the same. And it's hard for people to realize it, but it's so easily done. I'm surprised it's not done more. You know, you kind of get lost in your own world and don't know where you are. It's very strange. Yeah, the famous, the famous Spinal Tap moment, which I believe was, I think Kiss took credit for being the inspiration for that, but it's probably happened to any number of bands. I can't take credit for this joke. A uh, a listener made this observation. Mark, when you got into a rock and roll band, you did say you just wanted to fly. So be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Kind of too close to the sun there too, huh? There's a lot going on there. Got a little, yes. little, little Iron Maiden reference, all, all sorts of fun I things. Hope you, I hope you like airplanes because this is this is what you signed up for. Well, you know, it's funny. It's it's like with anything. Like I, I'm so grateful. I love what I do for a living. As with anything, as with life, when I'm telling my kids right now, you're going to be doing something you don't want to do the rest of your life because we're, we're we're discussing the the merits of homework right now. And why should we do it? And why shouldn't we do it? My kids are 11. And I'm like, well, I do something I love to do for a living. I love it. I'm so grateful. But 
for me to do that, there's something I really don't want to do, which is travel all day, wake up at three o'clock lobby call when I'm on West Coast time in Virginia to travel to another gig. You, you know, so there's always going to be part of the aggravation of it. I always say, you don't pay me to perform, Tully. They pay me to travel, you know? Right. That's that's the, the classic, the, uh, the, the hour and a half per day the other 22 and a half have to be have to be worth it and that's what gets people off the road if they if they come off the road which actually kind of will bring us to one of the releases that we're going to be talking about very shortly we're going to be talking about it's past august but we're still going to talk about the august new releases from 1981 it's been 40 years they can wait they could they, they could wait another month I can't believe um, it's for 40 need... years cuz 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 you're younger than me but I, all these records we've been talking about I was I mean, I was a fully grown person when these records were coming out, and it was 40 years ago, bro. You know what I mean? Not 20, 40. You know, it's crazy. Know. And there's all this stuff that's coming out now. Maybe you know about the, maybe we've even discussed it here before, the the law where if a label has something but they haven't released it after 50 years, they lose the rights to it. So you have Bob Dylan, you know, the year that he recorded 700 songs, they need to put out the box set. And I've been <laughs> listening to this bizarre Beach Boys thing. It's every odd and end that the, and it's not even the classic run. It's when they're in early in their first run of being has-beens. And I'm enjoying the hell out of it. It's this like 19, if there were CDs, it'd be like a 19 <laughs> CD box set feels. It's like, here's the acapella version of this. I mean, I can only imagine doing press for something when they go, well, tell me what you're thinking about when you recorded blah, blah, blah. 50 years ago. I know, right? I mean, if, if the principals are even alive half them that were yeah. there recording them. Um, but that, that, that is crazy. I know what you're talking about. But I don't know the real like principles or tenets involved in what you're saying. Like, are, are these artists that are losing their rights to, or the 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 the, the labels are losing their rights? You mean if the the masters are reverting back to the artists? You're saying if they don't release them or something? It might be something like that. Shit, I was hoping it was going to be in the first sentence of the. Uh... The Wikipedia page for Feel Flows by the Beach Boys is it's just something I've had on in the background when I'm like making dinner and stuff because it's, it's really, really good. Really, it's really good. It, it, it is really good. And in a lot of ways, you know, people make the there's the secret alternate history of rock and roll. And the leading tenet of that is always that the Beach Boys were actually better than the Beatles. And for whatever you might think of them, I don't subscribe to Servant Safari is no, um, uh, you know, a day in the life. But when the boy band ish thing came off the beach boys and they didn't have to have four songs per album about surfing and nobody was expecting that from them. It just mellowed out a little bit. It became a little bit less sticky. And that's actually the stuff that I find that I would really choose to, I'm not well, okay. Good vibrations. A bad example. I will listen to good vibrations, yeah. but I'm not listening to, you know, little old lady from Pasadena for right fire. or, or be true to your school or yeah. 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 This stuff is really pleasant actually. You know, what's interesting. And this is a, a real long sort of metaphor. I'm going to try and draw and brand. I've never thought about pet sounds was almost the beach boys. Paul's boutique for the beastie boys. Now, now license deal was, yeah, I got to fight for your right to party and like no sleep to Brooklyn. And, you know, and Beach Boys are talking about surfing and girls and, and school and, and that. And then Pet Sounds just hits you with Caroline. No, uh, you know, God only knows. I mean, almost like religious experiences to show you where they were going to go. 
Now, the Beach Boys never had tremendous success after uh, Pet Sounds. Uh, Do It Again was another big hit for them, but that was kind of a hey, nostalgic throwback to what they did. I, that's that's why the title. But it, it opened up, Pet Sounds opened up the boys from being BC Boys if they'd never put out Paul's Boutique. You know, that really let them be a really uh, intellectual, smart group. And, and people really started... Uh, looking at harmonies and, and, and structures of songs that Brian Wilson was doing and certainly was the impetus to lead him to being a call to genius. And just ask the, Be- just ask the Beatles, you know? Yeah, I'm sorry. I just can't find the phrase. It came up instantly when I was looking up what the hell this album was the other day, and I know it ties into the Dylan. Whatever it is, there's something about when something's been in the, the labels had it for 50 years, but they haven't put it out. It's a use it or lose it kind of thing. Nobody really cares I read the, the same thing you did because that's why yeah. it's attached to this record, too, which, why yeah. it's coming out. So, yeah. That, Absolutely, positively. And, you know, Mike um, Love, know, just uh, not to be that guy, but, uh, you know, Mike, Mike Love, just called me about five minutes ago. I can call him if you want me to. <laughs> Should we find out the reason why they had to put this out from Mike Love? That's so almost, funny. You just showed me your phone. I you almost got two want calls. to. I almost yeah. want to, but I think it would, it would be the next 45 minutes of this this podcast, which might be kind of interesting, you know? But yeah, uh, I'm going to find before, out why, Tully. I'll find out yeah, why. You, you let us know next time. The, um, the song, The Traitor which is i think like an early 70s thing is yeah i would if, if you stick me on a desert island with one beach boy song that's the song that i want it to be and i wouldn't have known that song i heard it on some weird mixtape most people have never even heard that song no. and to me that's my favorite beach boy song so there right. is a lot to to be to be mined and and if you and if that sounds appealing to you as i say there's 15 albums of it's worth that just came out um odds and ends from 69 71 but we're not here to talk about 50 years ago that's ancient history we're here to talk about 40 years ago <laughs> We were talking about 40 years ago, bro. You know what's crazy? This is cutting edge shit. You know what's crazy? Is that that Beach Boys record was 10 years removed from what we're hearing in 81, i.e. the Elvis Costellos. When like when like 2021 doesn't seem that far removed from 2011. Does that make sense what I just said? I know we've made this point a million times now that, you know, the hits of the 80s, 90s and today, today's just going to be as long as you as you want it to be. Well, look, OK, on, just to put this in perspective, I don't need to tell you because I, I wouldn't have known this. You're the person who's reminded us of this leading up to this event. What happens on August 1st, 1981, that changes the course of music history, Mark McGrath? That's right. It, MTV debuts in a lot of markets, right. but not all markets. In the first uh, right. year, radio killed and they had a sense of humor. Video Killed the Radio Star was the first video played by the Buggles. And what that did was put people like, what's the same what weren't the most attractive members in the world? Uh, maybe you had Triumph or been like that or Steve Miller. No one really knew what he looked like. Uh, it started pushing imagery before music. It started taking the FM rock and roll album. That started taking a backseat to what do y'all look like? And then MTV mm-hmm. kind of ushered in that era. You know, and, you know, I think that era in large part has passed, not that we live in a less superficial culture. If anything, it's only gotten more superficial. What with the Instagrams and whatnot. But I think we have, um, you know, and this is a great change in our society, expanded our idea of what can be beautiful. And maybe if you're not beautiful, that's not the be all and end all. Um, I have a podcast coming out on my Patreon. It'll come out in a week or so um, about, among other bands, Concrete Blonde. Yeah, I think John, I think John at Napolitano. If you ask me to name my single favorite singer of all time, she's the first person who comes to mind. Really? Janet, 
I love John. No, I'm just saying, I, I love her more than you know. I'm surprised to hear you say that, especially because you're an East Coast guy. You know, Concrete Blonde got a lot of run out of here from the punk rocks, the K-Rocks yeah. and all that, because that's where their roots were. Then they hit yeah. with Joey, which was a top 40 song, almost an AC song. Not, nothing like the collection of uh, Concrete Blonde. You know, uh, God is a Bullet, uh, so many great songs. And the grit in her voice, she lived it. She lived, know. you know, when you, and I hate seeing that being so melodramatic, but it's in the tone of her voice. I'm so glad to hear you say that, but here you say your favorite voice of all time. That's incredible. That's truly incredible. I, do, I don't know. I don't know. My, if you ask me my favorite vocal performance on a song, it's Tomorrow Wendy by Concrete Blonde. I, I can't think of anything better th than that. Um, but if they'd come out, five, six, seven years earlier. It doesn't matter what John Napolitano looks like. If they'd come out in the 90s, it's cool. She's alt. She hides behind her hair. That's rock and roll. We've right. seen this right there, smack dab in 1984. If she looks like Susanna Hoffs, Prince is writing the breakthrough single for Concrete Blonde, not the Bangles, and we have a completely different trajectory of her career. And people right now know who the fuck I'm talking about. That is so absolutely spot on and true and especially in 84 dare yes. i say where mt was almost at its peak you know yes. it's where we're like you know it had the, the there was nobody sneaking in the back door of like even the rem struggled to get like on a there'd be a college radio a college like half hour on a sunday even pre 120 minutes where like a song as good as like south central rain by rem that video would not get played because Michael Sipe is hiding, hiding out his hair and he kind of had bad skin and all. You know what I'm saying? It was all, yep. show me beauty, show me David Bowie, show me a perfectly tanned sting. I want to see Duran Duran. I want to see Culture Club. You know what I mean? I want to see Prince. I want to see I want to see beauty, a Madonna. And that was right, right when MTV was uh, at, at, that, at, that, at that nascent, if you were, right there. And you're totally right about that. It's ridiculous. It's, um, I wonder given enough time, I mean, it's already been 40 plus years, Madonna's still relevant. She can still show up and show off her robotic ass at the VMAs here in 2021. <laughs> but when she finally fades from the public, um, from the spotlight, I wonder what her legacy will become because like the music wasn't all that great. Madonna musically is just not a top 20 80s pop performer, in my opinion. Her top 10 songs don't measure up to lots and lots and lots of 80s acts. Nobody, and like she was just playing the game and she was she was inventing the game. So I'm not, I'm. it's what she achieved, you can't take away from her, but it was so dependent on MTV. And when you, you pull that thread out, you know, for future generations, I, I wonder what her legacy is gonna be. Because True Blue, I like it. It's only gonna get you so far. No, I, I agree, but I think like a lot of artists, she got better as a singer as she went on. You know, she was a dancer first for this band called The Breakfast Club. They had a song called uh, uh, Gonna Make a Move That Knocks You Over. Remember that? Um, uh, it, right they, on track. Not yeah, yeah. Get you back. Right on track. That's gonna get you back. And there, she, yes. she's kind of a dancer for them. So she had to kind of develop her voice. That's why you have holiday like real reedy and that's we talked about 80s production forever mike forever yeah, right and so holiday uh even like like a virgin they just didn't have that killer production 
She's getting better, better. Dress you up with my love. She started getting better and better. Um, I think the Jelly Benita, Jelly Bean Benitez is running, reaching out to her. Then now Rogers started getting a hold of her. So as she got through her career in the 90s, I think the production started getting better and better. Like with Rain, um, uh, she had a- Take a, a bow. Yeah, yeah, take a, take a bow is a magical song. But, you know, yeah. a baby face, a baby face and her together is, you know, that that's a great combination. So, but what is her legacy? Because what she started doing then is going back to the dance thing as she's getting older. Ironically, she's considered the most chameleon-like relevant, maybe the most relevant artist ever, because she's been relevant for 40 years. So I, I know what you're saying, though. What What is the music that's going to, is it? what's come before what's what's is the chicken the egg in her what what is is it the image or is it the music is it the career no matter what she's a superstar she always will be but it'll be interesting yeah, you know, she's she's going to be a forever icon i just wonder when you go you know because i know we all know the feeling of when you're coming up and you're getting into music people go you got to go check out so and so and then you go listen you go oh i can see why everybody talks about them and then they tell you to go check out somebody else you go, am, am i am i missing something i feel like i feel like this is maybe not as great as everyone says it is i think there's going to be a little bit more of that one of these days when we are able to do more shows more consistently we'll start applying this 20 song test to a bunch of different artists i think that really is a clear line Love it. madonna's 20th best song isn't all that great i'm telling I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who will die on the hill of live to tell i, I but then, then you, i think you're going to be surprised by how many good songs she has i say she has 20 hit songs in the 90s she's got 20 hit songs does she have 20 songs that we you know how many of those are going to be you know i'm not i'm sorry i'm not okay well let me ask you causing, ca causing a commotion may have been successful but come on i agree but i'm willing to yeah. like even let that go but what about like a virgin would you put that in the top 20 or is it just it's, two? Or is there two? It has to be, but it's yeah. a novelty song. It, it really is, and it was a soundtrack to a music video. It's like Thriller. Is it? Is it? Is it worthy of a? To me, it's worthy of a top twenty. It's got to be, but many other Billy Joel's twentieth best song is a lot better than Like a Virgin. I agree, but now we're getting into like you know, well, we're getting in creative spaces now, you know, or yeah. or you know, like, but like. I mean, don't forget, she's got Vogue. She's got so many amazing songs. Express yourself. She's got you know the 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 run she had in the in the late uh, in the late nineties, ninety nine. Um, yeah, the uh, Ray of Light stuff. Yeah, the Ray of Light stuff. So I, I think you'd be surprised. I think we'd get to thirty with Madonna to tell you the truth, because we're forgetting a lot of eighty stuff. Holiday, La Isla Bonita, so many yeah. greats. <laughs> <laughs> someday we'll get to we'll get to all these so on yeah music news from august of 81 on august 1st mtv debuts i love this story i'm gonna repeat it again because it was um on august 23rd of 1981 the violent femmes were discovered members of the pretenders they were playing at a venue in the femmes hometown of milwaukee the uh, the femmes at the end of the day are buskers they are a, an acoustic busking trio and they were busking outside of the venue and um, members of the pretenders spotted them invited them to play a 10-minute acoustic set as an additional opening act on and that was what launched the Violent Femmes, and they made an album, and a short 37 years later, it went platinum. <laughs> Did it really take 37 years? That yeah, I don't know how many. It, I think it's the it's the longest an album ever took to go platinum, though. Were they on IRS, or were they on... Um, why can't EMI? I get the label? 
I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. Um, I know they were. I, I think they were on an independent that was distributed by a major, but I'm not sure. Slash. They Slash. Were on Slash. Slash, which is interesting because that's an LA punk rock label that had the Germs, that had Fear, um, early Gun Club stuff like that. So it's interesting that they uh, they they found a busking trio out of Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, but wait, wait, what was uh, Ian Copeland managing? Uh, the Pretenders. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going off in a real stream of conscious way. I shouldn't this be. Is a very, I love uh, the story. Very, that's a very good question. I don't know the answer to that. I can tell you. It's funny. Again, when you're younger, time seems to take so much longer to pass. It took the Femmes album eight years to go platinum, which was an eternity. And also, it charted for the first time at the same time that it went platinum finally as the world and the Lollapalooza people got on board and all of a sudden everybody was buying the Femmes greatest hits and day after day you know added up all of a sudden became almost contemporary hits in the 90s despite having been recorded and released in 1983 and I always remember you know my first real girlfriend getting in her mom's minivan and driving and they're listening to the Femmes the first time I ever heard them and his whole uh you know uh and I'm so fucked up I'm high as a kite and I'm just like who this is a bad bitch I'm dating because her mom is totally letting this fly right now I got to say, Blister in the Sun is kind of like if you went to college in the 80s, it's our Louie Louie. Blister in the yeah. Sun, you know, it, it's played at every party still today. I mean, yeah. we use it. We play that. If we're at a corporate show and we want to knock out a cover and get these people cracking, we're going to play Blister in the Sun because people just love it. It has that classic feel like it. That'd be another interesting deep dive. One of the songs that were classic songs that never charted and certainly Blister in the Sun was never a top 40 song. Never top 40. I think we, I think we did that, did believe we? it or not. Yeah, wait, I'll look into that. Because that never made it to the top 40, but to me, that's a number one song. It truly is. Oh, and it, could, yeah. it gets treated like it when I play it live, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's get into some music from yeah. August of 1981. Um, the Rolling Stones released the last album that would really be considered, you know, like really a Rolling Stones album in the, in, uh, in Tattoo You. You're going to let Steel Wheels go, man? I don't know. Steel Wheels was a nice little, with mixed emotions, comeback in 89. You're going to let Steel Wheels go? I think I am. <laughs> I, think I, I think I am going to. Um, with all due respect to, uh, to mixed emotions, which I do kind of like, um, and as not a huge Stones fan, it cannot hold a candle in the pantheon of Stones classic songs to this one right here. story with that album that I was not aware of the Stones had been through the cycle of album tour album tour for over 10 years at this point and according to most accounts were so sick of each other they did not care to go into the studio and make an album despite the fact that they wanted to tour again and wanted to have something to support I think Keith Richards has maintained that they were just too busy and didn't have time or whatever but 
that was that album was received as a return to form because the Stones had been dabbling in disco and reggae and all the things they did in the late 70s. And for whatever reason, they said, we'd like to make an album, but we can't make an album. And their longtime engineer said, guys, I've been telling you with every album, you leave stuff off that's just as good as the stuff that you put on. If you will allow me to go back through all the outtakes of all the shit you've done, I'll show you you've essentially got the better part of another album. And like that song, for example, had been recorded in, you know, piecemeal rough demo form in like 71 or something. Really? Yeah, and he came back to them and said, look, guys, you've got this album. So it wasn't anybody's imagination that they had gotten it back because it was shit from the glory days. Why, why don't I know this? This seems like... I know, a, right? I mean, that that's insane because... That album might be one of my favorite Stones albums. You know, Waiting on a Friend. I mean, so many great songs on that one. Yeah, here we go. Okay, so the basic track, Start Me Up, was recorded during the 1978 sessions for the Stones album, Some Girls. It began as a reggae rock track named Never Stop, but after dozens of takes, it was abandoned. And so they brought it back and said, Mick, remember this? Uh, you know, yeah. uh, Mick Keith, you can do something with this. Let's take the reggae out of it and make it yeah. Stonesy, right? And apparently that's the story with like waiting on a friend. And uh, I'm again, I'm not a Stones person. I have I have Hang Fire in my music yeah. collection. Yeah, I, I, it's little TNAs in that. I think. I mean, I think. Mm -hmm. But but like that. That's just a record. That's an amazing record. Return to form, and probably the record that set them out to Legacyville. Meaning you're going to play stadiums the rest of your lives. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And actually, yep. the, the, the sales kind of verify that anyway. Even like it's not it's not a revelation. You know, that was the no. one that said we'll be playing stadiums the rest of our lives. And don't forgetting they were Lewis and Clarking this thing. There was never a band as big as the Stones. You know, the Beatles have obviously uh, had uh, weren't getting together then. Um, uh, and, and so they were, and they're still Lewis and Clark. I mean, they just played for the first time last night uh, in Foxborough, Massachusetts. They're First time without Charlie, so that 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 machine just keeps on going, and uh, they really. I, I liked I liked Steel Wheels. I thought it was going to be turned for him. I also liked because they had the, they had Guns and Roses open for him, so it was an exciting time to come back. But I also liked the fact that on that tour, uh, Tattoo You, they had they took out their uh, Stray Cats. So I'll always be grateful for them for that. That's cool. I'm looking at the track list from whenever we did this episode originally. Um, no hit legends, circling back to the Violent Femmes things. All uh, uh, all of the bands who who never had a top forty hit. Um, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Bob Marley, The Ramones, <laughs> Melt with Melt with You by Modern English was topped out on its original release at number 78, Blister in the Sun, um, Bjork, Leonard Cohen, and Morrissey. Boy, what an incredible list. Not one yeah. not one of those artists got a, had a top 40 song? Not according to, uh, to my... I think um, Zeppelin got one, but it was with some weird edit that the band disowned, and then that was as close as they ever got. And, and even at that, there's Led Zeppelin's got... 50 classic songs and one of them in mangled form made it to uh to the charts they were probably fighting with themselves when you think about it at radio because the led zeppelin record came out and fm radio the djs back then would pride themselves in playing their own tracks they like you know yeah. oh i like black dog or uh, well i like the lemon song you know what i mean so like nothing got really 
promoted by the label because the whole thing just got thrown at FM radio and they knew all the rec- all the songs we get played, you know, it's almost a weird, uh, weird way to sell records back then because because the, they were that good, you know? That's right. You can't, by definition, you can't have five singles. You no. need to have a sing- You need no. to have a single single. They're fighting against each other. You would fight each other That's for right. airplay time. So the Stones, obviously, um, as you said, that made made their legend by returning to the top of the charts. And when I was a kid, if you'd asked me, I would have guessed "Start Me Up" was ten years older because to me that is that is a classic rock song. It might be the last song ever released that's really part of the pantheon of a classic rock. Know, today's classic rock. You know, hey, yeah. hey, mama said the way you move, like yeah. that yeah. kind of shit that came out in '81, and that belongs to the 1968 class of Without classic rock. That's really interesting. I, I've never even thought about that. I remember seeing the video and going, wow, these guys look old. They I remember look- seeing the video and thinking, boy, that drummer really doesn't look like he wants to be wearing a sailor suit sitting there in bubbles. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I also remember seeing Mick Jagger's sweat underneath his, like, he had like a muscle <laughs> shirt and it just bummed yeah. me out. I don't know why I was young. Yeah. Uh, but but I remember they looked old, old then, and now they've all cut up to, to Keith, and they all Keith looks the younger, so crazy. Absolutely. So um, Bob Dylan at this point is completing what became known as a trilogy, his like Christian trilogy. Uh, I guess Bob Bob Dylan got real, real Christian for a while there. Artists, this is another show that we're going to do someday. The artists who test just how badly people want to listen to them by right. making. By right. making the Christian album. Right. Or Neil Young making his rockabilly record. Or like, you know, how how can we fuck with our audience artists? You know, that that's that that's great. So Bob Dylan, at least at the time, would have sworn up and down that the greatest thing he had ever recorded was the title track to uh to this album that came out in August of nineteen eighty one, Shot of Love. Well, it's so obvious why that's the greatest things he's ever recorded. <laughs> See, it's tough when you don't like Bob Dylan. You go, uh, yeah, sure, fine. Thank you. you. That one? Thank you. You know, when I'm in discussion with people, sometimes I feel like I almost have to temper my Bob Dylan discussion. I never got it. It never spoke to me. It still doesn't. I know it's blasphemy. I hate me for not getting it, too. Uh, I've watched all the documentaries. I've tried to see it. I've done the deep dive histories where he went to Minnesota, then created this facade and the whole backstory of who he wasn't. So he never believed it himself because he changed the narrative of his own history. I don't know. And he's also one of those guys that no matter what he does, it's five stars in Rolling Stone. We just don't get it. Maybe 20 years from now we'll understand it. It's just, I don't know. I, I just never really hung my hat on artists like that. Like the radio heads, the REMs that, just because we didn't understand it has to be five stars or it just can't be bad. Yeah. When it comes to Dylan, what people will always tell you is the music doesn't really matter. It's just the lyrics. It's poetry. Okay, okay fine, fine, fine. Right, fine. Right. I don't and, think and he's the, written that and, great of lyrics in a long time. And to that, I would say maybe you really had to be there because I don't think a lot of late 60s rock poets 
work has aged that well. I think you really, really had to... I don't think there are a lot of, um, uh, you know, master's level college courses being taught right now on the poetry of Jim Morrison. You no. know, it, it, it had to be... You had to be on that same batch of acid he was on to right. get that, right, right. that poetry. Right, and, and look, he certainly found a, a, a lane, you know, and... He's written some good pop songs. I, 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 you know, like a Rolling Stone's a great song. The keyboard in that that Al Cooper did really makes the whole song. That that Hammond organ. We've talked Hammond organs many a time on here. You know, yeah. I think Lay Lady Lays is best. I love that song. I think it's a beautiful song. But I just, and I've seen like recent gigs he's played. I can't tell what song he's playing. You, you know, yeah. and and people tell me, yeah, people say it was the greatest show I've ever seen. And, God bless, man. And, and, and I, I respect everybody's gangster. I respect everybody's taste. But you, you know, you can respect mine that maybe I'm not a huge fan. And that's it. I'm not saying I don't like some things of Bob Dylan. Just the elevated yeah. superstar. He's untouchable. And he's, he's impervious to criticism, Bob Dylan. I, I don't, I, I, I disagree with. Okay, now how about the kinks? Because we're going to talk about them next. Again, when you talk about this alternate history of rock and roll, people are going to talk about the Beach Boys, and very, very often they're also going to start talking up the Kinks. The Kinks is another act that eludes me. Well, not me. The Kinks are amazing. Okay. And here's the part where the Kinks lose in America. They're so British, like a Robbie Williams, like a Blur, that a lot of their lyricism, like a pick up a tea and crumpet, it gets lost in America. So I, Robbie Williams couldn't get over on here because he'd go on, he went on, and I gotta love the guy forever, he went on Jay Leno's show, and he did his like millennium, whatever. And he did the dance and he went right up to Jay Leno. And he did like a doggy style in front of like, like he was like dog. And, and to me, it was the greatest, funniest thing ever. But it's not America's sense of humor, you know? And he stayed just so English, so Robbie, which was blur, you know, with country house and all that and park life, all the stuff that the lyrics we don't understand. The kinks had a lot of those lyrics. Now, a lot of them were all day, all night. A lot of it was straight head rock and roll. But a lot of that was stuff that, that was so English that I think they lost their way here. But I think they're one of the most underrated rock and roll bands of all time, especially with the wealth of material they put out. Well, they have longevity because into the 80s they had, what was what was the song about his sister dancing? Oh, Come Dancing. That's a, come, that's come a, really, dancing, big, yeah. come that's dancing. a really big hit even in America in the 1980s. Yeah. In 1981 specifically, they've got an album. Uh, I'm not familiar with it. Perhaps you know it. Give the people what they want. Yeah. Give the this... people what they want. Yeah, I mean, it was good. I mean, a lot of rock radio played it. And even a little later they had a back where we started. Here we go rounds again. I mean, they had, you know, they... They went into the mid '80s, I would say, as still relative they recording. They did. Them and the Moody Blues kind of became the same oh, yeah. band at the end. No, there. Absolutely. Okay, so I think off the album, give the people what they want. I got the track "Better Things." Do you? Do you? Does that sound about oh, right? Yeah, to yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. I hope tomorrow, hope tomorrow you'll find better things. 
dude, you would love that song. It's got, it's, it's like very melodic. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a beautiful song. I, 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 I forgot how much I love that particular song. That was a big hit. That, I mean, it was a big rock radio hit. That was, a, that was probably a platinum record, wasn't it? I would tend to, uh, I would tend to think so. As I say, they, they remained successful um, beyond that album really based on their legacy and the fact they put out a pretty darn good record i would say and, and a difficult time for a classic rock uh, band as we all have we we've said many a time 81 you know oh we're seeing that yeah we're seeing that uh month after month here i'm not sure how successful it was so he was in a relationship and maybe even had a kid with chrissy hind so he's yeah. tied up in the pretenders thing at this point and i think She's got stuff on his album, and he's got stuff on, on mm-hmm. her album, and that's a pretty good place to be, um, yeah. career-wise. Absolutely. For, uh, for a rock that, star of a certain age. Mm-hmm. The Kinks, they're one of those bands, and there's a couple songs of theirs on a Sopranos episode that just make the song better, uh, make the episode better to me. So they're a band that you can do a deep dive on, um, That kind of like we're talking about the Beach Boys. You're like, wow, wow. They just made solid records, you know, really, truly solid records. Art Garfunkel had finally gotten rid of the guy who was holding him back. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he always hit me with stuff, dude. I'm not ready. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everybody who had ever gone to a Simon and Garfunkel show going, that one guy seems so insanely talented, but that other guy bothers me a little bit. Well, Art felt the exact same way. <laughs> he got rid of the dead weight and started pumping out solo records. Art did have a little bit of a successful um, movie career. I forget the movie he was in. He co-starred in something with Jack Nicholson. So he remained, you know, relevant. But um, he puts out this album, Scissors Cut. And by now he is, we're, we're moving into the 80s. Art Garfunkel, you know, one of the very human incarnations of the New York downtown hippie singer songwriter scene of the late sixties is now taking album cover photos, wearing a tuxedo. So that's where we're at right. in New York in the and, early eighties. There's another thing we were talking about that crossroads. Where am I going to go? I come from, I sang arguably one of the most beautiful vocals of all time, bridge over troubled water. That's one of those things where Paul, Paul Simon's so mad because he can't sing it like Art, Gump, Art, Gunfunk, Art Garfunkel, but Art Garfunkel can't write it like Paul Simon. So they had this horrible dynamic of needing and hating each other at the same time. Welcome to every band you've ever heard about, you know? Right. So he puts out this album. It doesn't do very well. And like four months later, they're playing for 500,000 people in Central Park. A free show, but still, any anybody who can get 500,000 people to show up did something right. It says here the most successful song, or the most the best-reviewed song on this album, Scissors Cut, is um, called That's All I've Got to Say, which is the theme from The Last Unicorn. I wouldn't have known what that was, but I did another pod yesterday. Peter Bogdanovich, the filmmaker, had been in a relationship with a murdered playboy playmate of oh, yeah. the year named dorothy stratton Star 80, and yep. he was he was fairly obsessed with her i think it's fairly he made movies about her and and re-released about his own expense movies that she'd been in and uh and i guess people liked um relative at least to the other 10 the other nine songs on the album the theme that art recorded for that bogdanovich film in honor of the recently deceased dorothy stratton the theme from the last unicorn here we go all I have to tell you 
it's got a beat and I can dance to it. Mm. You know, it's really weird. Like, it's a talented man. It's, 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 it's not a horrible, it's just like someone said that that's okay to pass. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like, like I'm Art Garfunkel. I've sung some of the most classic songs in the world. I'm just going to let that go. I, but, but you know, what's so weird about being in a band and like, Sometimes there is a time limit when the record needs to come out. We've only got yeah. an hour to write this with this producer. So you wonder, like, how could he let something that, from what I've heard, and I'm not a big fan of the Scissor Sisters, or what's the name of this record? Scissors Cut. Scissors Cut. I'm not, so I don't, not, I don't have a deep dive on it, but I'm always curious how an artist lets something go out that's not completely, can, may I say worthy? Now, it's a backhanded compliment to Art Garfunkel. Now... I don't know. I'm trying to, and and the cringiest rock star moment I have ever personally witnessed was Art Garfunkel. I've told the story a million times, but I was um, working writing this syndicated show for Carson Daly, and there was a bunch of rock journalists in the same company on the same floor, and a guy had brought Art in to do an interview, and it was clear that Art had decided that the space they were interviewing him in, which was good enough for everybody, didn't feel like a creative enough space for him to, to, to an interview. Talk. To talk in. <laughs> oh so I miss that. I just see the journalist walking Art out, and he's already in his mind thinking, I'm going to go have to back, go back to my boss and explain why I brought Art in and I don't have an interview. And Art is going, I'm sure you understand. It's just not a very good place. It doesn't feel like a comfortable place to talk. And the journalist has no choice but to go, oh, Art Garfunkel, of course I understand. Who could expect? Yeah, of course. You don't need to explain. I'm sorry I even brought you in that room, Art Garfunkel. Uncle, and that was the most obnoxious, pretentious. That's that that every uh, uh, gut feeling I ever got off of him leading up to that was right. confirmed, and then some in that moment. And then any other story you heard sub subsequently, you never even had to doubt what yeah. there was never a two sides thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, but in his defense, in this, maybe sometimes you know the filmmaker and they're making the soundtrack and the song is already no, the song yeah, is already yeah. written and you said, yeah, you're going to do it. When it's tied into a film, I guess I'll give you. But it wasn't as if, you know. I, you know, I did qualify. Every, 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 everybody, name your favorite song by Art Garfunkel. You know? Right, no, right. And I did qualify by saying they might have had six hours to do the song, blah, blah. But this, what I'm confused at, uh, Tully, was this the soundtrack to the movie or was this Art Gar Garfunkel's solo jammy? Well, it's both. It's it's the last song, and it also is the best reviewed song according to iTunes on his solo album. So it's gotcha. both. It's it's it wasn't a standalone thing. He did put it on the album. Gotcha, gotcha. And and do we know if you wrote it or not? Just out of shits and giggles. I don't think he wrote any of these. Yeah, I don't know that that's uh, part of his elite creative skill set. I've got a question for you. Is he credited sure. with writing any song in Simon and Garfunkel? Uh, let's find out about that. I'm just curious about that. Because when, as any, you know, uh, downtown, uh, you know, socialist folk singer is wont to do, when the money comes in, you turn yeah. capitalistic real quickly when you go, wait a minute, how much do you get for writing and me for singing? So I'm curious. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly where to to look that up yeah yeah um, that's a deep dive but i'm just curious and I'm, I'm sure people at home are yelling going yeah we we, we know he's 
Let me know on social media if you guys know if, if Art ever wrote a game of ball. I would be absolutely shocked if he didn't have writing credits on a lot of their songs, because how could he not have said, hey, why don't you change this word to that? If you're Because right Paul person. was so proprietary with the songs. That's why. Mm. And I think that was part of the problem. I think it would be really, really tough to be in a duo unless one of the guys or gals goes, I, you are the genius. I'm just here to sing the pretty songs and look cute on stage and shake my butt. You go right ahead. I think that if you're in a duo with a, let's say an Art Garfunkel, and yeah. they start coming in going, I got this idea, I got this idea. At a certain point, you start going, well, I'm going to say no to the really bad ideas. I have to go, yeah, 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 that's okay, to the not quite so bad ideas. In the worst case scenario, I'd be shocked if that if that wasn't the case. You're right. And even, as I mentioned earlier, Paul said he couldn't sing Vigil or Troubled Water, so immediately isn't that worth something as a, as a publishing songwriter? You know what I mean? Maybe he gave him 10% of that, which is millions of dollars at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm sure one way or another, Art's doing okay for himself. Yeah, I've never been too worried about him. The Allman Brothers. All this is 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 old uh, uh, classic rock artists still trying to to hang around. The Allman Brothers release an album in August of 1981. Well, Tully, you know what's really weird, and, mm -hmm. and I'm add another little qualifier on this whole '81 thing. What bands would do in the '70s? They might have a gold record, and it might fail. But the next record might not do well. They sure as hell were going to make another record. Like you know, it just kept. You know, things kind of changed in the 80s and definitely changed in the 90s. You know, there was artist development in the 70s. You might write, I mean, Fleetwood Mac had four or five records out before they were successful. Bruce Springsteen, yeah. same thing. So yeah. not only was there like, you know, if you had a successful record, they might give you one or two to fail and oh, then another one came by. And like, you know, this is just what you did once you established any kind of success, like the Almond Brothers, like the Kinks, like the Moody Blues. Things radically changed in the 90s and certainly in the 80s. So they, they were just doing what you said, the cycle of like the Stones were doing. Put another record and go tour. That's just what they did. So I, I think that's an interesting caveat to kind of put into our 81, oh, God, what are we doing? Where's music going? You know, some kept doing what they were doing because that's what they did. This is their eighth studio album. It would be their last studio album until 1981. And uh, it was the last to feature a couple of people who I'm guessing are original members of the band. I don't know all the, I don't know, I couldn't tell you who the bass player of the Allman Brothers is. Interestingly enough, the band only had in their entire career three top 40 hits, and this album contained one of them. For wow. whatever that's worth, yeah, and it was this song right here by the Almond Brothers, straight from the heart. Now, did Just, Jackson Brown come over with a 12-pack of beer that day and help <laughs> to record that? Because that sounds nothing like the Allen Brothers. Jackson Brown is actually pretty generous. I wouldn't have thought it. You're right. It sounds like Lawyers in Love. Yeah. It also it also sounds quite a bit like the theme from The Greatest American Hero. Believe right. it or not, I'm walking but, but on air. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Got to Be Somebody's Baby. It's got that bump, 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 bump. Yeah, that very early 81, even like back 
you know, back background noise of an 80, early 80s movie, like, you know, mm-hmm. like Burt Reynolds cop movie thing. So I don't I don't know who Johnny Cobb is. Johnny Cobb is uh, is the second credited writer. He does not warrant a Wikipedia uh, entry of himself. Um, is Greg not... is Greg the first songwriter? Dickie Betts. Oh, Dickie Betts is interesting. Dickie Betts wrote some of their biggest songs because he, he wrote Ramblin' Man, you know. And. Sweet I think that like like a southern rock band and the and when I was a kid they were already a legacy act but they were still you know they'd come to New York they'd go to the Beacon Theater and they'd be there for ten nights yeah fifteen nights twenty nights mm-hmm. it was like the dead coming to town on a slightly lower level I wouldn't have thought of them as a band who had ever even tried to change with the times and yet there's Dickie Betts writing a halfway credible Jackson Brown song <laughs> circa nineteen. <laughs> For whatever Definitely. it's worth. And I'm sure they rocked with some skinny ties and a couple of photos, man. I promise you they did, you know? I mean, they weren't that old then, you know? Uh, the August of 1981 saw the release of the 27th studio album from Aretha Franklin. Wow. That's incredible. And uh, let's see what Aretha sounded like by 1981. <laughs> A duet with, uh, by the way, with George Benson. She was getting caught in that Johnny Mathis duets with Denise Williams, uh, Barbara Streisand, Denise's uh, duets with uh, Robin Gibb. Um, remember those Endless Love, Diana Ross and Lionel Richie? Like, that sounds like that real 80s, you know, poppy, sappy mm-hmm. loves thing. And probably the bridge to her freeway of love, you know, you know, it, you know, let her open up a little bit and become, you know, a straight up pop act, which she became in the 80s and very successfully too. Pink Cadillac, all that stuff, you know. Yeah, it's interesting because she kind of does and does not have a signature sound. She does because R-E-S-P-E-C-T and, you know, and but that was very much of its time. And ultimately, she could just be a really good pop singer. So you, you know, I am Aretha freaking Franklin. And now I'm on, um, that's her on, uh, on Arista. So she's with Clive Davis at that point And just what's happening right now, Clive, give me one of those. Yeah. And good news, whoever was going to sing it now, Aretha Franklin will sing it. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and take that song that would have been a perfectly nice song for the Pointer Sisters, Freeway sure. of Love. And uh-huh. now, Aretha Franklin will be singing. That's that right, end. right. She and, needs uh, and, she already, and, and she was already grandfathered in to the MTV thing. It didn't matter that Aretha Franklin looked like Aretha Franklin because she'd already looked like Aretha Franklin and been on the Tonight Show for two decades. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, and uh, and rightfully so. You know, and 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 of course, you know, the legacy like that, uh, which is ironic though, because might have been her most commercially successful years, but probably not her creative apex for. I mean, what I'm saying is I bet more and more of those songs fell to the wayside as Aretha continued her career. Yeah, when they were doing like the Kennedy Center honors, I don't yeah. know that any anybody got up and performed 
pink Cadillac or no. a freeway of love. Yeah, I, I, right. I, she, they might have thrown in a quick medley, but then she quickly got <laughs> back to natural women and all that stuff. That yeah, John Legend did 45 seconds on yeah. those. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I have a blind spot where Dan Fogelberg is concerned. I, I know the name. I don't know who he is, and I'm pretty sure I don't care. Am I wrong, Mark McGrath? No, you you know you know his songs. He's got a lot of uh, the singer songwriter. Um, uh, what what what's the song he's got popped up right now? This is off of the album "The Innocent Age." It's a song called "Same Old Lang Syne." Yeah, you'll know this right away. You'll know this. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's it, it's it's exactly what you think it's gonna be. <laughs> It's, let's, he sings longer than there's been stars inside the ocean. Uh, longer than oh, there I are see. birds in the ski. You know, and the longer than I'll be in love with you. Yeah, you yeah. Know. He made music for the the turtleneck guys That's from the exactly late seventies. Right. <laughs> gotcha. Try the fondue. I'm gonna put on the new Fogelberg. Yeah, right. Okay. Hold put, on. Okay, put on that. I, this might be the song. So I think it's got a weird title. It doesn't fit the song. This this might. Let's see. Oh no, this is it. That was a that was a sensitive evolved man right there. You remember that classic, don't you? I don't know that I do. Yeah, I, I just he just had a bunch of those longer thens, and they were just very they were very um, non offensive, and you could sit in a dentist chair and just it would calm your nerves a little, and you know there's people that swear by that by this man swear by him. That's what I'm saying. I know the name, and yeah, uh, yeah and I, I feel like I should know the music, and um, and now I'm kind of finding out why I, why I don't. <laughs> I got. Three more next month. Um, September is uh, is going to be a another bumper crop of um, new music releases. Where 1981 is uh, concerned, but three more for this month. So the Pretenders are following up their debut album. How and long ago was the debut from now? I don't think it was very less than long, a year. Right? I, I want to let, let's see and, and and it was definitely the case of where they go we need another album they go are you fucking kidding me <laughs> <laughs> we just got home we just got home you asshole so this comes out in august uh, august 15th to be specific of 1981 um the their debut album had come out in december of 1979 okay all right i mean you know almost two years i mean but what's crazy is it's, it's coming out in August of 81. So that really it's about a year and a half of, of having two records out. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, exactly. And, and quality, as I, mm-hmm. quality records, because this record fucking rules. You like Pretenders too, because I think at the time people said this is great, but it just kind of sounds, other than the singles, sounds like a, a lot of this is just rewritten stuff from the first album. I guess there's worse things you could do than to rewrite the first Pretenders album, but people will recall this uh, this song, which was... Uh, it's funny, because I feel like um, the Pretenders were and then became something that was sort of a straightforward post-punk rock thing, but a couple of the singles that really put them on the map... Um, 
stand apart from the rest of their uh like i don't think of brass in pocket as a a, a typical um pretenders song it's not a, a light rocker you know and i would say kind of the same thing about this song right here now look at the people in the streets in the bars we are all of us in the gutter some of us are looking at the stars look round the room life is unkind we fall but we keep getting up over and 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 over that's funny i just got the lyrical reference there we are all in the gutter some of us are looking at the stars that's an oscar wilde thing that morrissey is very very fond of himself my my wife it's crazy that i can't think of what the quote is my wife bought me a tambourine that's allegedly signed by morrissey that has some variation of that quote supposedly morrissey signed this tambourine and wrote i can't some of all of us are looking at whatever the heck he's but that's funny i guess that was just a thing that was all the cool people in england in 1981 thought that was the coolest thing ever that oscar wilde quote do you know the oscar wilde quote yeah, that's the original quote. Is all of us? All of us are in the gutter. Some of us are looking at the stars. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. Amazing. I, I thought Chris, I thought Christie wrote that. So, but uh, you know, you said about Jeanette Jeanette's voice, Napolitano, mm-hmm. Concrete Blonde. Christy Hine does that for me. I, I, she's just so real to me. You know, she she has her punk rock credentials are are, are perfect. She was. Oh, we've been of- over this before. I, I told you recently about you know Johnny Rotten told me that he pierced she pierced his ear in the yeah. bathroom at a Strangler show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, if she did nothing else and did that only, so yeah. I think you can hear a lot of the the the, the angst, the anger, and, and the punk rock sensibilities in her music. Though the Pretenders were straight up classic rock, they were. Yeah. They were they were a new wave band that were invited to the classic rock party. They could hang out with the Aerosmiths, the Led Zeps, the Stoneses. You know, they could also break bread with Squeeze, Elvis Costello, and all that. So they they were very in a very enviable position until they lost. You know, Pete Farnden and John uh, James Hyman Scott to the uh, you know the Chinese Dragon. That's exactly right. That was the second album with the original lineup. It would be the last album with the original lineup because one member departed the band and the other that you mentioned died within the same week. Yeah, I think it was maybe two weeks. Yeah, it was super, super early and super, super sad. Uh, but I, I, I love that band, still love that band. And, um, you know, that, 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 that to me is times. It, it, to me, another another uh, production that will always be. I mean, I was just grooving off that, off your small speaker, off my, you know, it right. just sounds so good, you know. Yeah, and, and she's similar to Johnette Napolitano, too, in that she has that thing with her voice that they're always good for one song. It's it's not even fair to the rest of us. They're good for, like, one song per album where they go, I don't even have a hook. I'll just do my voice thing. That's right. And, That's right. And it's just, a, it's always cool. I'll just do my shaky voice thing. Don't worry. There's there's the hook for that one. What's the right. next song? I'll it's do my just, distorted, like, you know, yeah. life voice that you'll never understand, and it's, it's amazing. And that'll be a song. I got two more tracks here. Uh, I think you're a little higher on Devo than I am. Pretty high on Devo, I got to say. I am. 
what what is your so lack what, of what is your lack of of, of de devolution? I would say if I had to boil it down to one thing, it's that I don't like the music. <laughs> oh, that little caveat, you know. Yeah. Again, I love, I love the idea. I've met Mark, lovely guy. I love his soundtrack work. Uh, yeah. Vampire Weekend ripped him off royally. Their entire career was based off of the Rushmore soundtrack, and Mark is uh, too too pleasant to overtly acknowledge that. But I was pleased that he was uh, at least subliminally. Willing he probably to gave you a little, a little a little wink or two. I also yeah. think you know it, it comes up every time if we don't if I don't bring up the K Rock phenomenon when you yeah. are are doing this something's wrong. K-Rock really embraced the band Devo. So not only do we know the, the whippets and the, you know, satisfactions and the, uh, you know, Gates of Steel, we, we, we were deep dive uh, privy to all of Devo's records. So they, they mean a lot to me. I don't know if it's more of an emotional component or not. I mean, but I, I love their whole thing on stage where they kind of like, they, 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 they move in unison. And, you know, it's truly a unique and creative band. There's no other band that sounds like Devo. Yeah. I love the idea of Devo. I would just about wear a Devo t-shirt, even even not liking the music. And I saw them perform live at the, the Hollywood Park racetrack before they closed that and built a stadium down there. Yep. And um, they, even though they were a, like a, a, you know, the, their opening act was some horse races. <laughs> um, they they brought their A game and uh, they closed with the song I'm about to play you right now. And to me, it was the highlight of the evening off of the album New Traditionalists. Now, Mike, would you know if uh, if Josh Freeze was playing uh, drums for Devo at that particular gig you saw? I have absolutely no idea. I, w I don't know what Josh Freeze looks like, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, he, he plays in every band and then I know he does. He's in the Royal Machines, the band I play with, with Dave Navarro yeah. and all that. And we played a couple of gigs last week. Um, but yeah, he's in Devo. He just was just recently playing with them. Lovely guy. And he's just, as you know, the drummer... He's playing Sublime, The Replacements. He was in Everybody. Guns N' Roses. He's in Sting right now. He's Sting's drummer, just to give you a really? little Really? He's in The Vandals, and he's in Sting. That's all I got to say about Josh Freeze. Yeah, Sting's band's real, real good. Sting doesn't get enough credit in the in the pop pantheon for how how musical his stuff is. Oh, I so agree. Being, you know, like so I think... Agree. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, all this time or if I ever lose my faith in you, you you're taking a real band out on the road. You need you're, if you're drumming for, for Sting, Sting's a real bass player and a real singer and you're a real drummer. That, that's 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 all you need to say. One final new music release from. I thought August that Devo of, song was later. That's interesting. I thought that was more 83, 84. I, I didn't know it was 81. That's interesting. Uh, new traditionalists, yeah. I, I I read some of the backstory. They um, I know it, they there was some Japanese political party that was calling themselves the New Traditionalists at that exact era. If that helps to place this historically for anybody who follows Japanese politics, <laughs> that's very Devo. <laughs> um, the actor Tim Curry, 
had made um, a number of oh, albums yeah. at this I, point. Right. Is that when this song came? I could never hit the ball with such velocity. I do the rock. What song? What's that called? Uh, I do the rock. Oh, no, no, no. This is called I've Got Working on My Tan. Did, does oh. he, did, he, did he always do vaguely offensive foreign accents when he sang? I think so, because he has a vaguely foreign Because <laughs> I thought that was going to be the interesting thing about this. I don't. I can't really tell. Am I? Am I? Am I, I know it's hard for you to hear from where you are, but is, is he not doing some weird? I know what Tim Curry talks like, and I know what he sounds like when he's in Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I'm just getting something different off of um, working on my tan. Right. I think here. everything's is- dramatic, drama, and dramatic, yeah. and. And back then, everything was like Nina Hagen, Hagen, like, like everything just went, you know? Missing persons had that, like, you know, that that surely, like, women, women's fine. You know, everybody was just kind of doing their own new wavy thing, you know? Highly highly stylized thing, and how was he going to be left out of that? So he had done two or three albums, and and, um, this was to be the last. In a hotel band, but it's just financial, playing for the dipsos, and they also run, but he ain't. I mean, I don't hate that for the time. I mean, it's it's listenable, and, and I'm surprised he had more records. I thought he did like one record because I always fancy him more as an actor. Oh, absolutely. A, a singer, but, but dude, when you're putting out four records, and I imagine those four records came out in probably a five, six-year time period, he was focused yeah. on his singing. Yeah, this is his third album. He'd put one out two years before that. Yeah, if that's track eight on the Men at Work album. Exactly. It's, that's okay. Well, how about this? Give that to Men at Work, you might have, you know, a, a hit. Yeah. You know, they might have... That, that, first men at work, uh, that first Men at Work album had a couple of, had more than, it was, there was more to that than Who Can It Be Now and Land Down Under. That's right. Some cookie videos and Vegemite sandwiches. That's for sure. With all due respect to Vegemite. That is, <laughs> that's everything worth talking about. I don't know. What, what we did not talk, well, I, okay, you're going to, you got to go. You might take exception to the fact I, I did not find um, Call Box by Wall of Voodoo especially remarkable I, that I'm assuming that's a K-Rock band wall of voodoo very, very much so but not not their catalog you know they had a couple songs that they would play ad nauseum Mexican radio yo, yo Mexican radio wasn't on that record right uh, no, I know it was not no it was not that was yet to come so I think they were finding their way uh wall of voodoo was more a very more experimental band that kind of stumbled upon a hit but they weren't a catalog K-Rock band you know? Okay. Yeah, there's a lot. The Gun Club, uh, Carly Simon is doing standards. Patti LaBelle is singing Over the Rainbow. Survi- Survivor has a, an album with multiple songs uh, titled Blank Nights, like in the, the Summer Nights, Chevy Nights. <laughs> Survivor is all about the nights. Uh, level 42, Not to Be Outdone by the Joe Perry Project. Aerosmith rhythm guitar player Brad Whitford makes the Whitford St. Holmes 
um, project, Simple Minds are warming up, Level 42 are warming up, and a band that people might want to check out, I'll let you go, but uh, Comsat Angels was new to me. And you know, no, no, you know, I'm actually going to play you a little bit of Comsat yeah, yeah. Angels. Yeah, do, do you it. Know who Com- Have you heard of Comsat Angels? Yeah, yeah. Just give me the the backstory again. So, I, from what I gather, a lot of the more successful hipster bands out of New York in the uh, early 2000s would be name dropping them, the uh, the Interpols and stuff. But what I find most interesting, and what people who listen to a show like this are going to find most interesting, is that check out this song right here bearing in mind that you too an up-and-coming you too toured with this band shortly Ooh. before hitting their creative stride i i have a feeling i'm gonna hear some guitar tones i'm familiar with Idea. Oh my God! There's so many bands that owe them an apology, man. Are you where crazy? Are you from? Right? Where are they from? Uh, they're they're English. How, how? Look, I pride myself in knowing a little bit about music. I've never heard of the Comset Angels. They probably got paid off to like listen. Don't ever say anything because that guitar sound, that yeah. that echo guitar. I mean, that's just how many bands did that drive after you two? I mean, uh, insane, yeah. right? Coldplay, I mean, it's insane. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, they were um, English post-pop, post-pop band from Sheffield, England, active from 78 to 1995. And as I said... To 95? That's what it says. <laughs> I know. How did we not know about this band? I mean, no one exposed everybody for their lies and treachery. That's insane. In their early years, shared live stages with the likes of Susie and the Banshees, Depeche Mode, and um, U2 for an 18-date tour in 1981. Would be well worth listening to what U2 had recorded prior to that 18-date tour and what came immediately after it. Because I think... I think they had I Will Follow out already, though. So I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass, you know. Though, uh, it's remarkable that... Well, it just shows you what, maybe this didn't have any good songs. And by the way, yeah, yeah, technology was starting to come around, so someone was going to find that that boss double delay pedal. You know what I mean? It was like someone was going to find it and figured out the magic in it, as a lot of bands did. And if you don't have yeah. a hit song, dude, calm, sad angels or not, it's it just there's nothing you can do without a hit That's song. Right. You two had released I Will Follow yeah. by, so- by, uh, by October of 1980. Well, we're going to we're give a pass on it, you know. Okay. Yep. All right. That's everything that I've got. Thank you, as always, for your time. You've got, uh, you've probably got a flight to catch. I, I actually have one in the morning to catch, but uh, I will be loosening up soon, Mr. Michael Tully, so I'll be ready to ramp up. Cool. All right. We'll be seeing a whole heck of a lot of you, and we look forward to it in the meantime. MarkMcGrath.com for all your Mark McGrath needs. Yes. And I'm on Twitter, too, at Mark underscore McGrath. I love hearing from you guys, as you know. I think that was a fun show. I think it's pretty much always a fun show when Mark is around. I hope you enjoyed it, too. Thanks for sticking around. Before you go, let me remind you, patreon.com slash Mike Tully. 
Oh boy, this week alone I did my comprehensive take on all of the big banger conspiracy theories. Do I think we actually landed on the moon? You'll have to tune in to find out. Also, there's Tully Time, the weekly news roundup, and like I said at the beginning of the show, tomorrow Brian Cullen is back for recently released songs. Hope to see you there. Patreon.com slash Mike Tully. Thank you, friend.